This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. And now, from beyond our dimension, this is the Jeff Mara Podcast. Here's Jeff. My guest is Nicole Gruel, who during her near-death experience saw a horizon of light and more, and today we're going to learn about it. Nicole, thank you so much for being my guest today, and welcome. Thank you, Jeff. It's a pleasure to be here, and thanks for having me on. You're welcome, and it's a pleasure having you. So if you don't mind, can we start on the day your NDE happened and go from there? The day it happened was a marvelous sunny day down in New Zealand, Aotearoa, and I was whitewater rafting with a friend and we walked up this gorgeous, beautiful forested hill to the top um, of the mountain where we could put our raft into the water and uh, I was 14 years old, I think she was uh, maybe 16 or she was a bit older than me. And um, and we also had uh, two instructors that were there who had briefed us in the morning on what to do because, of course, whitewater rafting is an extremist sport and one of the things that people go to New Zealand for. So off we went into this incredibly powerful river and our boat went down and we got to the highlight of our journey, which was a 10-metre drop. I think that's 32 feet wow. um, drop. It was big. And down we went and we landed and, you know, we were filled with adrenaline and it was spectacular and we kept going. And it was so good that we said, let's do it again. And the instructors were like, sure, we have no one else on, you know, let's go do it again. Now, this time as we walk back up the mountain, because it's a big river, right? you got to walk a fair bit up and carry the, the raft. The sky started shifting. It got a bit darker. The clouds came over. The weather, the mood shifted somewhat. <laughs> And then we go now for the second round. And this time when we got to the same waterfall, the nose of the raft tipped and the boat fell upside down. And I went out of the boat. I think the others must have as well. I don't know. And um, I went down deep into the water and I grew up a swimmer. I grew up on the beaches. And so I had a natural swimmer's response, which was to throw my arms out and to try and swim because I was in water. But it's actually the wrong response to have when you are getting pounded by a massive waterfall because as soon as I put my arms out, the water, the pressure of the water just pushed me straight down really, really deep. And as I opened my eyes, everything was black around me. I was that deep down and I actually didn't know which way was up, down. I, so I, I knew there was no point in swimming because I, you know, which way are you going to go? So I had total vertigo in black water. And in that moment, I also knew this is my last breath. And in the moment of knowing this is my last breath, my, I was filled with panic. And the curious thing is, the second after I was filled with panic, I was filled with total calm. It was like switching from one, just like that. Total panic to total calm. And the next thing I saw in the black water, I had my eyes open, was a horizon of light. And it was just 
glorious soft light, but bright but soft. And from that horizon of light walking towards me was my then living grandmother, so my my mum's mum, and she actually comes from a whole samurai lineage and that's become, you know, a powerful part of my journey. So my grandma was walking towards me and next to her was my first dog pet who I grew up um, like an only child. I have a a half sister on the other side of the earth, but I grew up, you know, as an only child. So pets were like my siblings. I was very close with them. And this was my first one uh, who was deceased at that time. So I had a then living and then deceased um, beings come towards me who I recognised. And I remember thinking at that time, I was only 14, I was thinking, that's unusual. What are you doing here? And with that thought, this um, male voice very close to my ear said, Nicole, remember to breathe. And with that came the recollection of the, the, the not the coaches, but the, um, you know, the instructors that morning that we have to curl up like a ball because I had a life vest on. And so I curled up like a ball and sure enough, I went up from dark green water to light green water up to the bubbles and I surfaced at the top. And I was lucky I came up when I did. I was quite far when I surfaced from where the boat had tipped. Everybody else was back in the boat and they'd been looking for me. And I surfaced right at the mouth of where a cave entry was. And and had I not surfaced at that point and they were able to go and get me, I would have had my death experience that day as opposed to my near death. So I'm I'm grateful for that. yeah, so that was that was the first. <laughs> well, that was an amazing experience. Thank you for sharing that with me and us. And uh, you know, I don't know, somehow hearing drowning, you know, that experience kind of made me a little afraid. Just hearing your experience, it's um, it, it's something because it's a body trauma, right? And the body never forgets these things. And so as I've become more conscious of my own body memory and what's held in it, I've actually experimented over time with, I love water. I'm a triple water sign as well. And I've experimented with moments where I might come close to that, not being able to breathe again. I've tested myself out. Um, And I remember being in this beautiful waterfall one time. And so I actually, and it it was strong water. I felt safe enough in that moment to kind of go under again and the power of that waterfall. And I remember for a moment, it was really fleeting, but it was, there was still something there in my system of, I know this, you know, I know this and get back out again. So it's really curious. I didn't drown to the point of, you know, going blue and spluttering and someone had to pull me out. Clearly I surfaced and I took breath. Um, And they think I was under for about a couple of minutes, but in that situation, no one has a timer. Do you know what I mean? It's just like, quick, someone overboard. What are we doing? And go, go, go. It all happens very quickly. Um, Yeah. So it's, it's one of those things to journey with over time and to become okay with once Mm -hmm. again. Yeah. You were pretty young when it happened. Did you just kind of shake it off and forget about it? Or did it change you in a spiritual or religious way at the time? Yeah, it's a great question. So I think I'm pretty typical of um, kids. PMH at Water talks about this quite a lot, kids who have these spiritual experiences. And there's a marked difference between them and the adults. So like many kids who do, I hadn't formed my worldviews and my paradigms so strongly at that point. I was still young. And so I accepted it 
for what it was. It was an experience like many other experiences. I didn't die that day and I just carried on with my life. I didn't have to reflect on it. I didn't have a, you know, I wasn't at midlife, so I didn't have any midlife crisis about it. You know, it didn't, it didn't shift anything significantly, but it was fundamental, I think, in helping to form and carry my life path so it was an experience and I'd had many even as as a kid I was feeling presences when I was young I was asking questions about you know what do I believe and um, spiritual stuff from a very young age so that was always there but this experience just seemed to be like one big bang in a constellation of stars um and so i didn't question it really until i got into more my mid to late 20s and i was having some really full-blown spiritual experiences and at that point i was realizing not everybody has this not everybody goes through this and that was more it was more when i realized oh others don't do this or don't see this or don't know this that the questioning and the reflection of my own experiences came in did you ever chat with your grandmother about it and see if perhaps she was dreaming when you had it and she had some kind of connection or was she totally unaware of what happened Yeah, you know, Jeff, so my Japanese was never good enough to have um, a conversation on that level. And I did, I never mentioned it, but I would, I wish I could have had that conversation. So I don't know, is the answer to that. My grandmother, though, has been such a powerful force in my life. You know, I she was in Japan. I was in Australia, but we went to Japan every year. So I spent quite a bit of time with her. But she was also a very quiet person. And again, because my language wasn't so developed, I couldn't converse deeply on such matters. But her transition to the next world, you know, her passing was actually a really important time for me because during my near-death experience, I lost several relatives as well. I call it my doorway to death. So I had my near-death experience and within six months I lost my father and I lost a couple of other relatives. It was bang, 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 bang. And as a 14-year-old, I just wasn't developed enough emotionally and psychologically to deal with so much grief in one hit. And so a lot of that became a compounded grief that, that I then had to journey with and process. And my grandmother's passing, I think it was probably a good 10, 15 years after that. I don't remember exactly when. But her transition was so key in helping me process death and understand it because I had the great privilege of being there together through her passing as her, you know, as her body was leaving the last couple of weeks of it and she was getting much weaker. I was also reading the book, the Tibetan book of living and dying at the time. So it really helped me understand the material, how the material goes to the beyond, you know, and um, how the elements leave the body one by one. And so I watched how the elements left her body one by one, you know, the earth, the, the, the fire, the wind, right, the air finally. And, um, and it was fascinating. And so, and then, you know, we were with the Japanese do it in a very special way. So um, they keep the body for a while and the, the village can come and give thanks and celebrate and honor the life of this person. And so the grieving process is actually very elongated compared to anything I'd experienced in the West, which is very 
brief. You know, you lose someone, you see them maybe one time at the ceremony and then they're gone, right? Whereas this was we got to have her in the same room with us. You know, the body is is treated so it can stay for a, a few days or a week. But I was in the same room dreaming while she was there, you know, and I was there with the altar of the ancestors. And so it was this really, really deep process of just being with a transition of a spirit material to beyond and that couple of weeks that I got to be there through all of that helped heal all of those other unprocessed traumas and grief um and I'm I'm forever grateful for that so even in her own passing she became a master teacher um for me Hmm. And, and who knows, probably still carries on. <laughs> now you were there physically present when she transitioned. Yeah. Did you have any type of experience with her as she was leaving her body? Well, I should, I should correct. I wasn't there at the exact moment. No. So I was in Japan. We'd been going back and forth to the hospital. Yeah. So not at the exact moment mm-hmm. when she transitioned, but in the days leading up to and in the days afterwards. Yes. Okay. Yeah. My mother had an experience with her um, towards the end. So, and I'm sure my mom won't mind me sharing this because it's such a beautiful experience. My grandmother hadn't been speaking or not much was going on for a while. And my mother was in the room with her and all of a sudden she raised her arm up and was looking towards, you know, something past the end of her bed and was reaching up. And my mother knew at that point, and I think my mother experienced something along the same lines of her, her father was there or, you know, the husband was there, my grandfather, um, and that she was reaching out towards him and that's where she was going to. So that gave my mother great peace as wow. well. Yeah. I had a guest on before that's a um, hospice nurse, and she said Mm. those kind of things are pretty common happening to people. Yeah, yeah, and they don't talk about it that much, but it happens all the time. Yeah, Yeah, that's (laughs) pretty cool. Have you noticed after your NDE, especially your, I guess you really only had one main one, but you've had some other NDE-like experiences After your main one, did you notice that you had an increase in any cognitive abilities that could be also considered psychic abilities? I have um, always had a very open third eye. So this space for me has been incredibly active. So, um, for example, you know, I was drawn to meditation circles, right? And we'd go and we'd sit and, you know, someone would do a facilitate some kind of a meditation or a journey and would have a debrief afterwards. And people would say things like, oh, I had a warm feeling in my body or yes, you know, I maybe I saw this or I saw that. And I would have had this like full blown experience that was highly detailed and I might have journeyed to some other realm and you know it it was just so alive it was like watching a sci-fi film in that space so I loved going to these but I realized after debriefing so many times I'm like I maybe I should just shut up about this because I'm going on and on and on because I need to you know my content is rich but I, I don't know that it's you know, I don't know that it's the right place to be sharing necessarily all that people really want to hear about it. Um, and so, yes, it's always been very active, the visual space for me. And I'm also a natural empath. So 
Um, I naturally stepped into the role of teaching and counselling and coaching and I've had many experiences, particularly early when I didn't know what was going on, where I'm, I'm feeling the emotions of others or, you know, I'm feeling things in my body and other people start expressing certain things and so that that empath quality was there and, again, that was something I had to learn to, to navigate so that I'm not overwhelmed and I can discern what is my stuff and what is somebody else's stuff. Mm. How was that in the beginning, handling that, you know, handling other people's energies and their emotions, you know, being empathic and trying to decide if that's yours or theirs? It's messy and it's overwhelming and it's a whole heap of emotion. And of course, because I'm processing my own things that I was aware of too, um, it, it, it's such a journey of self-discovery and testing as well you really have to test things out and you have to ask other people what's going on so that you're not making assumptions about what's happening you're actually finding out and testing is this valid what i'm feeling in my system or not you know of other people is it my projection or is it something actual that i'm feeling so i spent a lot of time yoga was a pathway for me that made a lot of sense and resonated um, i spent a lot of time in ashrams and that gave me a quiet repetitive safe space where i could start to break down and understand some of those components and kind of study i guess study my own system study my own process and in a quite a scientific way you know see what is what is not mine what is mine um and create good good boundaries from that as well has the memory of your experience the horizon underwater experience has that faded over time or is it still with you today is it real you know as real as it was the day it happened yeah um it's not as strong as the day it happened but i did have a refresher experience of it um so this was another very powerful sp- spiritual experience i had when i was birthing my first daughter and um, in it was long. It was a long um, labor. It was ninety hours from when the waters broke to to when the baby finally came. So it was, you know, it was exhausting and all of that. And when I finally got to the hospital, and um, I didn't want to do any kind of unnatural intervention. That's why the labor was so long because I was really determined to do it naturally, but it just wasn't happening. So finally, out of sheer exhaustion and worry from, you know, the staff around that something could go wrong, I agreed to an intervention. And um, so the first thing that happened was they gave me some um, something to speed things along, but it got very painful very fast. And so they gave me the happy gas. And that was the first um, drug that I had had, the first painkiller I'd had in the whole process. So it was fabulous and I loved it. And so here I was on the happy gas. I think it's actually banned in, in, in America. Um, so I don't know what's in it, but we we still do it down here in Australia. And I'm on that. And in the midst of the birthing suite with all the machines and the midwives and doctors and all the chaos of that, on this happy gas, boom, just like that, I went straight back to the exact same horizon of light. And this time it was interesting. This time my consciousness was split because one part of my consciousness was still aware of the room and all the physical stuff going on. And the other part of my consciousness was in the same horizon. And I knew it was the same place. Only this time, decades later, I now knew where I was and I had language for it, unlike when I was first there as a kid. And I said to my my husband and my mother who were in the birthing suite, I think I'm having a near-death experience and one of us might not make it 
and it's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. I, I had that knowing, right, in that moment it was going to be okay. Um, now, that's that's some pretty full-on information to hear if you're on the <laughs> receiving end of that. But for me, giving the information, it was just what needed to be said. And, and I knew that it was fine regardless of the outcome. And perhaps it was the impact of the happy gas as well, but I was actually hysterically laughing on the inside. I couldn't laugh out loud, but the ridiculousness of the whole scenario of my struggle of the 90 hours of me wanting it a particular way and it wasn't going to happen, it was the cosmic, it was the great cosmic joke that I could see playing out that as much as I had not wanted it to go this way, it was the last outcome I wanted. It was the exact process that I needed in my journey it had to happen this way Mm. and the knowing also came in that moment that we would go ahead and do the cesarean and so I gave the instruction and just said let's do it and within an hour at 3 33 p.m I was holding my daughter and it just happened like that so you know a lot of people walk out of a hospital traumatized by such an experience I walked out pretty elated I actually got it was a public hospital and I got to be no one else was there crazy enough and the hospital is now gone but I had an oceanfront view and there were whales in the water Mm. so I and because it was a cesarean and they had to check things we spent like a week in the hospital so I was actually in this kind of semi-elated state as opposed to the traumatized you know nature of it knowing that that was the perfect experience um, that was there and laughing at the whole okay thank you universe for the refresher obviously I needed to be reminded um, because by this stage I'd gone so deep down the rabbit hole in terms of understanding human potential and spirituality, going as far as getting a PhD in it and doing deep studies. And so I just went deep, 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 deep. And, you know, I, I see it now as, you know, Nicole, it's, it's okay to do the head stuff, but you know, the lived stuff, right. It was just that refresher that I needed um, at that time so that I can, I think even better work with experiences moving forward. Do you feel like it was your destiny or this was part of your soul contract to go through that? I have no idea, but it happened. Hmm. Wow. <laughs> Perhaps. Yeah. That is really interesting. It's kind of like, I think what people would call you were bilocated. Yeah, because it was, it was, you know, the two at once. And to me, it felt like a completion of a circle. You know, I was there once and I knew the same place, you know, I'd come back. So I felt a completion mm-hmm. in that on my on my spiritual journey. Um, who knows? There might be more. I'm not asking the universe for any more near death or near death like experiences. Yeah. But um, it, yeah, yeah, there was a circle for me in that. You didn't see your grandmother again or your pet, did you? I did not. No. So this time it was just the horizon of light. That was it. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. That's the first time I've heard of that. You know, usually they're within light you know like they're they almost become part of the light but to see it on the horizon is a little bit it's different yeah it was like your background there jeff Mm -hmm. a horizon in that way though if you expand that that thin line to probably three quarters of the screen both ways and instead of a bluish light it was a very warm golden light um that's kind of the best explanation i would have for it and either of the experiences were you feeling like that bliss you know, the overwhelming love, indescribable love. Did you hear anything, see anything, pick up anything else with your senses? All I felt was total calm. There was calm and peace. There wasn't the love, the elation, the joy. It was, it was 
as calm as calm can be. Mm. Yeah. Stillness. Yeah. Mm. Um, and in terms of hearing anything, I mean, there was just that male voice that was there in the first experience. Um, but other than that, no. Who do you think that male voice was? I still don't know. I've had a lot of people take guesses. <laughs> I don't know. You don't know. What have you guessed? Yeah. I, 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 because it was in English as well. Nicole, remember to breathe. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I really don't know because I grew up to migrant parents, you know, so I know that wasn't my father's voice. I've never ascribed to a religious path in any way where I would call something God, like God spoke to me. That was, you know, not how I would describe that. Um, yeah, it's, it's a mystery to me that will maybe one day be answered, Jeff. <laughs> yes, maybe a guardian angel, maybe a maybe. guide. Maybe. There are moments in my journey where I have, um, you know, felt and seen a circle of protectors. Um, whether one calls them guardian angels, you know, ancestors, there are there are beings that I know um, that are that I either journey with or that have protected me along the way that I've been connected to. So maybe um, one of those. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Speaking of journey, so where are you now on your spiritual journey? Oh, right here. <laughs> wherever here is are you a religious person just spiritual (laughs) Mm, gosh i'm not religious um in any way i've never followed a religion or or um bonded to one closely um i like to call myself a human being in trying to be in the fullness of this experience of you know a physical body Um, with other dimensions to it, you know, with emotional, psychological, spiritual dimensions that can connect um, to others. I connect others, I connect really strongly on planet Earth and with nature. And so, you know, I work with many people who are very cosmic um, and have many off-earthly experience. And I've had some experiences like that as well, where I've you know, being out in the cosmos, I've been out in the stars, I've been hugely humbled. Um, one of my biggest humbling experiences was when I was made to feel so incredibly small out in the great cosmos. And and I've seen some things out there that didn't make sense to me at the time. And when I came out of the experience, you know, people who have seen things like that before could explain things to me. Like I saw this big giant blue pyramid that was glowing blue pyramid um, out in the middle of space and other things with earth and different earths and different planets. I've had many out there experiences, but I still relate most powerfully to this incarnation that I get to live this earth body um, and what can I do with it? So in that sense, I'm kind of very earthly um, and grounded And I guess where I am on the spiritual journey is a point where um, I'm at peace with my experiences. I'd like to think I've done, you know, I'm doing the best to honour the gifts and the wisdom of my experiences to now help others find their gifts um, and tap into their spiritual knowing as well and their power that lies within them so that their earth experience and all of our earth experience can be the best that it can be. Um, Because honestly, Jeff, I think we have so much potential within us that some of us have tapped into in some ways, but yet we don't quite know our own power and collectively what that can look like and what we can do on this planet. 
you know we haven't we haven't gone there yet as a species and I'm excited for us to do that I want us to do that because I think we can do so much better um, I think we can just make the most marvelous. People talk about heaven on earth. You know, I don't think that that's a concept. I think that that is a, an actuality that we can co-create together, um, because in many ways we've created hell on earth, right? Yeah. We, <laughs> we we do things that are atrocious um, to one another and to our systems and to our home itself. And so we are smart enough um, and powerful enough to do something differently. And I, I'd like to, I'd like us to do that. <laughs> yeah. Have you been able to tap into that power and able to manifest things in your life? Yeah. So can you tell us how to <laughs> yeah. do that? Sure. So um, it, it comes down to having intentional co-creation so I, to, in order to answer that question, I want to rewind back into one of my experiences and near-death-like experiences that taught me how to do that. Um, and if I forget where I'm going with that, you can remind me, Jeff. So the experience was um, this happened just around the time I turned 30 and the, over three days I went spontaneously in and out of states of ordinary and non-ordinary consciousness and it had to do with my my womanly, my menses cycle and which was always a bit of a process anyway but this time it was worse than ever and I also had a couple of other big life events going on where I was shutting down things on the outside. So here I am for three days on a couch, feverish and, you know, losing blood from my system. And, but I thought it was kind of like any other time. So I kind of knew what was going on. It was just a lot more intense. And during those periods, I typically, um, you know, the, the lights intensify, sounds intensify, I need to be in dark, silent spaces. So I was doing that and I was also very sickly. I mean, my mother who was there at the time said to me, can you please take yourself to a hospital or can I take you to a hospital because it's not looking good. And I, I knew enough about spiritual processes and transformation at that point to say to her, something important is happening. And if I really need to go to a hospital, I'll go. But, you know, let me do this. Let this happen. So over the three days, in and out of these states, and it was deeply kind of shamanic in, you know, my energy went down both legs to understand and meet with ancestrals and things that had happened in my past and my DNA that needed to be healed and corrected. And it was also very Kundalini-like in going and activating and clearing the channels where I had past traumas, I had past stuckness, I call it molasses. It was like molasses in my system that I needed to move through and get rid of and clear and so it was doing that. It was like this great clearing over three days that happened, but it was quite um, brutal. And the experience that I can recall, the, the, the best I can liken it to is an onion having layers peeled off, but it was not gentle. It was like it started off quite softly, but as we got closer and closer to the core, it was like layers were being ripped off. And each of those layers was a piece of my identity, a piece of how I understood myself to be. And so as it was getting closer and closer to the core and I knew it was getting closer and it sped up towards the end of the three days and I was getting a bit more scared as it was getting there, I was getting desperate to grasp onto any of those layers that were left because I didn't know what would be left if we went further. So one layer close to the end was, you know, my name is Nicole. I am Nicole. And you know, off that went. No, you're not. I am girl on couch. 
off that went as well. So you can see like the, the, the little me's desperate attempt to hold on to anything and it was just being ripped off, ripped off, ripped off. And at the end of that um, very quick process towards the end, all that remained was a spark of light. Nothing more, nothing less than a spark of light. And I knew in that moment that anything beyond that spark of light that I created, which is my identity and these patterns that I engage with in this human form on this planet Earth, this is all a game that I get to participate in. I get to be an active um, co-creator with. And so from that point onwards, I kind of lightened up a whole heap about life. Things became a lot um, easier and I'm not making light of life. I'm not, you know, um, spiritually bypassing in that way, but it became lighter in the sense of I didn't ascribe as much seriousness, you know, and anxiety to certain things like this is the way it has to be or, you know, um, uh, or freaking out about it, you know, not turning out particular ways. It was like, oh, I can be quite light about that and perhaps this is not the pattern we need to engage and whoosh, off we go and we can try something else and that's okay because I'm still on planet Earth, I'm still alive and I guess that means I still have opportunities to try something else out and do something differently if it's not working or if I'm not enjoying it or if it's not adding, if it's not contributing something meaningful um, and beautiful, then why bother, right? So that core essence experience has been probably one of the most powerful pieces in me helping understand how we can connect to our source power, our source energy. So for me, it was that moment of pure light potential. And then from that, we can be playful. We can create, we can get, we can, we can, then we can activate the mind, right? Because the mind is complex and it loves to complicate and, and get dynamic with things. So from that point, now after we've engaged the core essence, now we get to engage the complexity of who we are. And that's a beautiful thing. You know, that's why I work with people in terms of understanding what is your personality? You know, what is your melody? That How are you hardwired? How did you come into this world as the gorgeous being that you are? And let's not fight your hardwiring. Let's not overcome your ego. Let's not throw any of that out. Let's work with the divine template that you've been gifted so that that, that, that source energy can move through you in the only way that you can do it, right? And the more we bring it through each of us in that way, the, the less energy we're expending, the more efficient we are with our time, our words, our relationships, our resources, because we're clearer, we're, we're just functioning better. You can even think of it like a machine level, right? You're, you're more in your optimal functioning. And as you're more in your optimal functioning, it's even more clear to you what is not needed. What is the excess that is not required? And what are the, what are the further and further away layers from that core essence where you can engage less time or um, less importance, ascribe less importance to those things? Yeah. So that would be a process I, I would share with your listeners in terms of how you can do that to tap into that power that you already are and work with the divine intelligence that you are in order to really live your best life. But you have to figure it out. It's a process and it's an experiment. And because 
you know, it's not just us alone, right? We don't operate alone. We bounce. We bounce continually off the outside world. And so it's this endlessly evolving project that we are called life. Um, and that's why, look, if you can't bring in a sense of humor or a bit of fun to it, then it really can become heavy and drab. Yeah. Do you think that it's possible to have the realizations that you have had without having that spiritual awakening or NDE-like experience or Kundalini experience? Yes. And research proves it. So there's been quite a lot of research done in sharing circles where experiencers, people who have had spiritually transformative experiences, are sharing about their experiences. And there are people in the circle who are not, who have not had such experiences. Maybe they are loved ones, colleagues, you know, other group support, peers, professionals, whatever. Um, and simply by sitting together and hearing the, the experiences of others, it's the, the key here, Jeff, is the wisdom. What is the wisdom of the experience that is brought through? And when you talk to people who've had these experiences, there are core themes that come, such as love, joy, peace, right? They're probably three of the biggest ones. There are others. So that's the actual gift, right? That's the wisdom of the experience. Now, anybody can experience those, peace, love, joy, and anybody can build their life from that place mindfully, consciously, to choose to live a life that has those qualities in it. Um, and so you engage it in that way. It's interesting to think about because my only close connection to that is when I'm dreaming, sometimes I have dreams and I'm like, why am I dreaming this? This is dumb. I'm going to dream about something else. But it's like taking that to a whole nother level into your conscious life by thinking, why am I doing this in my life? This is dumb. This is not a fun experience. I want to change my life into completely something else. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, um, what they've found from all of the great sages, right, and all of those realized beings is it's not about the peak experiences. It's not about the spiritual aha or sitting on top of any kind of mountaintop with the guruship. It is about how have those aha moments been integrated and stabilized and actualized on daily life. How have you been able to take those practices and the wisdoms and apply them? Because you can go sit on your yoga mat and be as high and holy in that moment as you want. But if you hop off the yoga mat and then you're back in your car and you're swearing and yelling at the traffic and carrying on and you're just as angry as you were before the mat, the, the wisdom of the moment has been lost, right? You can't just achieve peace on the yoga mat. So this is why that phrase comes off the mat and into the world, right? It's the same thing in our day-to-day -day lives. How can we take any of those moments such as the peace that comes through dream or the, um, you know, the awe that comes through dream moments like you're sharing or from being in love? I mean, most people have truly experienced love at some level or being in love. So this is a nice garden variety of spiritual experience that we can apply to the everyday right in when when let's revisit that moment right when you're truly in love bombs could go off and the world would still be okay right because your feet are already hovering off the ground you're in la la land in your heart everything's okay the world looks more beautiful because you're in love and people see like the world just seems better so and then of course you know we don't stay in that high 
form of love. Most of us don't, right? We kind of come back down and maybe we even fall out of love or now we start to get resentful with the partner that we've chosen or all of these other bits and pieces come into it, right? So we, we it's hard for anyone to really stay in any one experience. But we can always tap in. What was that moment? What was that experience? Because we can tap in because we've had the experience. We've been there before. And so we know the potential to grow that experience within us is there because we've already had it. It's in us, right? And the body never forgets. The psyche never forgets. All the pieces are always in our system. We just have to know how to connect with them and tap with them. And it's 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 more than just saying, oh, I want to connect with that experience and then getting upset if it doesn't connect or getting disappointed if it doesn't. You have to think of it like a garden and, and you know, each of us as a seed, right? So those moments are like seeds of potential, powerful, power, potent seeds. And the more you can conserve a garden and the environment where that seed can grow, then the more chance you have of living that peace or that joy or that love or whatever it is. So you can't have a life full of, let's choose love, for example, right? You can't have a life where every moment is an encounter, an angry and abrupt and a conflict, and then say one day, I just want the love seed to grow and expect that you plant a seed of love in soil that is full of conflict what's going to happen to the seed it's going to wither and die right but if we're able to do the work and this is where we as humans can come into it right we we have the gift of these experiences that can happen or the gift of the wisdom of the experiences that we can enjoy if we can cultivate the soils around it right so you give it space for example you create space in your life you clear your life of the clutter that is cluttering the mind or the heart or the physical space that you might need in order for those experiences to grow you start to shed toxic elements in your life whether it be physical things whether it be relationships you identify you identify all of those things that are toxic to the seed right? And you do your work to create a better environment. And what do seeds need at the end of the day? It's actually pretty simple. Good, healthy soil, water and sunlight. And maybe you can sing to it and give it a bit of love, right? It's the same with us. If we think of ourselves and the core of ourselves, like those seeds, we don't need that much to thrive. So in the toxic world that we live in these days, one of the biggest favours we can do ourselves is to just eliminate the toxicities. And in doing that alone, then we will see other elements of ourselves shine through. You know, if you need to recalibrate and reconnect, go to nature, right? A lot of people, this is, this is a common practice. If you're out of whack, you're not sleeping, things are bonks, all the rest, they say go camping for a week. Go check out the moon and the stars and you will, you know, these innate parts of our being that have been around for millions of years will reconnect with our natural cycles. And then again, we reconnect with the most natural parts of ourselves and they get to come through. So we just have to understand how we operate in order to tap into our optimum self. Yeah, it doesn't have to be complicated. <laughs> what are some more of those toxic things in our life that we need to stop doing? Oh, well, one of the biggest ones is um, our addictions, right, on all different levels. So our addictions to technology, our addictions to substances, our addictions to um, even toxic relationships, our addiction to toxic emotions. 
And it's understandable. This is not a moment to get into the self-blame and, oh, I should be doing things differently. And it's understandable that um, we are socialised and... um, I don't want to use the word coerced, but we are socialized and in many ways encouraged to become addicted to these things. You look at how society is structured, go through a supermarket with your children and all of the most addis- addictive, colorful substances are right on their eye level, right? The eye candy is everywhere for big kids and little kids. So we need to become mindful and aware of where the so-called eye candy is constantly popping up for us. Um, you know, a nice cleansing practice for those of us that are very digital, like you and I, Jeff, is things like how many things am I subscribed to that I can just unsubscribe from because I don't need to subscribe to that, right? What is what is polluting my consciousness and attention span that doesn't need to be there because maybe at one point I needed it and now maybe I don't. I need to go somewhere different. So how many hours am I spending doing something mindless, you know, or consuming energy that doesn't need to be consumed? And the technology is so addictive. That's why it's quite the task to, you know, to to train ourselves in terms of what is necessary and what is not. Is this beneficial or not? So we can do that in terms of technology. We can do that in terms of what we put into our body, what we consume, right? How many of us mindfully eat or mindlessly eat? Yeah, that level alone. Um, What comes out of our mouth and the quality of our conversation with others? Am I talking and spewing nonsense out of my mouth simply for the sake of filling silent gaps? And because I feel uncomfortable if I don't say something or if something's coming back or I don't want to have that conversation, so I'm going to talk about this or that, right? So becoming mindful on so many levels, we can do that and clear things. Yeah. Do you feel, though, it's even more difficult getting away from those addictions now as a human because it's like science has figured out how to addict us even better, whether it's sugar and sugary type of food substances. They've figured out how to hack into our brains in a way where they can keep us looking at our digital screens. You know, it's almost more difficult than ever now. I agree. And so it requires um, inner strength and discipline, (laughs) you know. First, it requires will, right? Do I want to make the choice to do things differently? If everything's working out for me just this way and I'm very comfortable and happy and it's working towards my potential, fine, carry on, no problems. Or are there pieces of my life that I would like to shift? Yeah, because I feel like that's not quite working out for me or that's not really the best thing for me. If so, if there's a yes somewhere there in your life, then make a conscious decision to start a shift. And it doesn't have to be anything massive, right? Because if it's too big, we're not going to do it. It has to be achievable and doable and small shifts that we, we're such creatures of habits as humans. We love our habits. And so we just have to create the habits that are going to help us stay within that optimal space as much as possible. And when we identify things that are either working against that um, or are, are very difficult, then you have to have a difficult conversation about it. To what degree am I going to participate with that thing in my life? You know, there are other options. You don't have to go to a supermarket to shop for things. For example, there are farmer's markets, right? You can make, some people just grow all of their own stuff. So there are, depending on how committed you are to different pieces of that process, 
the power lies in the will and the question. Do I have the will to make a different choice? And can I ask the right questions that will take me in certain directions? Because if you choose the right questions, you will come up with new answers. If you're constantly being dictated to about things and you don't ask any questions about how can my life be different in some way, then you will constantly be dictated to. People may or may not know this watching the podcast. Nicole and I spoke about this before we started that I generally try to know the least about most of my guests, especially my NDEs before we get started because I want to discover the guests at the same time as the audience. And I don't remember seeing it in your bio or what you wrote to me. I didn't even know you're a doctor of something and I don't even know what you do. So can you tell us about that? <laughs> sure. So it's a PhD in transpersonal psychology, which um, is AKA spiritual psychology. And the reason for that was, um, as I've shared, you know, from when I was young, I've had these extraordinary experiences, which I wouldn't have called extraordinary, um, but they're called that because they don't happen every day. And yet they are parts of in my discoveries. <laughs> what I now understand is we all have the capacity to tap into these experiences because we're built um, our, our minds and our consciousness and our bodies and our energy systems are built in a way where we can access such states. Any of us can access such states. So they're not pathological. They're not uh, abnormal things. They are readily available. But we as a modern species and a modern society have lost access to a lot of that wisdom that many of the ancient cultures revered and practiced and had embedded into their um, structures and daily life. About 15 years ago, I went to the opera and I saw Figaro. And I think that story comes from around the 1500s. As my guess, that's when that opera was put together. Anyways, I just had this epiphany when I left there that people have not changed in the last 500 years. The story was just something that could be easily transported to today. Do you feel like humans really haven't changed much over the last thousands of years? Yeah, 100%. <laughs> we, we have fancier toys Right, we've gotten smarter in that way in terms of our technology and our tools. But the fundamental is how are we using them, right? So our consciousness and how we're operating hasn't shifted much. Thousands of years ago, our technology and tools were to, you know, thump things over the head. So, you know, we'd either thump animals to eat them or we'd thump one another, right? When we got into, into an argument about something, Really, that hasn't changed very much these days. We are still very much in conflict with one another as a species, and we are incredibly parasitic on our own home. It doesn't make sense. And so we as a species on our Earth home, if we carry on with the level of toxicity that we are creating for ourselves in our home, we are on a suicide mission. We are, on a, we are currently on a collective suicide trajectory, the way we are cutting down the lungs of the planet, the way we are polluting our river systems, um, because we have to ingest that all ourselves, right? And there are such intricate natural systems of animals, et cetera, that rely on that. So 
we humans are doing the biggest disservice to the space that we live on. Now, here's my my understanding really of planet Earth. If we humans carry on with our bad, stupid behaviour and we wipe ourselves out and unfortunately a whole heap of other living species on the planet, which we're you know on our trajectory to do, I actually think at the end of the day, planet Earth's going to be fine. You know, she as an entity will be just fine. We can wipe ourselves out and she is that ancient and old and who knows? I mean, as a star, as a rock in space, one day that the journey of this rock in space will end as well, right? It will, I don't know, it will do what the other ones do. Maybe it'll explode, maybe, who knows? It'll merge with another one. So that day will come at some distant point in the future. So the, the, the really curious thing is somehow we are alive, on the planet right now and all of the aspects are right to facilitate life that in itself is miraculous we don't think about that as a as a miracle but that in itself is miraculous and then in addition to that we have this intelligence this consciousness this faculty this empathy we have all this ability to interact with each other on such an incredible level that too is completely miraculous and so why aren't we making the most of that. That part, Jeff, is a mystery to me. It's a mystery as to why we are self-sabotaging ourselves on such a mammoth level, um, and, and yet we are. So I don't want to be a great pessimist here, but rather it's the optimist in me that knows that something different, a different reality is possible on this planet. And the fact that we're living now, I mean, suicide rates are through the roof at the moment, especially in the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. um, you know, conflict carries on, like all of these things. There's no end to the list of pain points that is in the day-to-day -day life of a human being, the treadmill of, you know, the job cycle and the taxes and have to pay for it. Like we, we have all these inefficient systems that we have, even education itself, all these inefficient systems that we've created that we carry on with, we persist with. None of it's actually necessary, none of it. You know, we can completely do things differently, but we're so stuck and addicted to the stuckness that it's it's one hard to even see that it could be different right and then to actually get the willpower and the energy to try and take the steps that might be a bit outside the system is is something else entirely so but having said that those communities exist there are people doing that right there are people consciously co-creating life in different ways which is beautiful because they're being very mindfully engaged, heartfully engaged and earthfully engaged and cosmically engaged in terms of why they are pursuing the path that they are pursuing. And I think those little pocket communities are essential for us to understand that we can do things differently. Yeah. It doesn't mean it's perfect, yeah. um, but it's, it's a, it's another option. Do you think it's possible that the human mind or the human brain has limits of our evolution and what we've evolved to and we're stuck here at this level? Well, we won't know until we try something different. That's true. <laughs> yeah. I think hmm. I think we have everything within us to give things a crack. And, you know, surely, you know, I'm, I'm sure many of your listeners have had this moment as well where 
all of a sudden you have a breakthrough into something new. It might be when you're riding a bike and then, you know, you do the training wheels. This is is a young person's breakthrough, right? And then the training wheels come off and now you're riding the bike and you somehow knew that you'd be able to ride a bike without the wheels, the training wheels. But when you had the training wheels, you were still stuck in that, the safety of it, right? And so you have to get to a certain point of confidence within what you are doing and knowing how to operate differently. And then when the breakthrough happens to a new level of operating, then another game can begin. But you simply have to do the work and take the steps in order to get to that new place. Because if the breakthroughs happen too quickly and too fast, we also couldn't compute it and integrate it. And that's why like in the spiritual community, you have people that that have this thing called a spiritual emergency, for example, rather than an, an emergence, which happens over time and we open up to greater consciousness, and we can integrate it and process slowly and, you know, stabilize it and then carry on with our lives. For some people, it's like just this sudden boom that occurs. And again, because we don't have the societal structures in place to understand how to how to deal with somebody who's spiritually open and awake, um, then it's very easy to end up pathologized, which happens to many people, unfortunately, and it's probably not the best solution at that time for them. Hmm. It's an interesting word you used, pathologized. I like that. Yeah, but it's we. True. Yeah, we have a habit, we modern humans, of either glorifying or or pathologizing spiritual experiences. You know, someone had a vision, okay, so we go make them a saint, right? Or someone had a vision, uh-oh, quick, call the, call the shrink yeah. and, and go put them away for a bit. Neither of those approaches are very helpful to the experiencer who's having a vision, right? And who could probably have a better experience if they are in a safe space where they are allowed to explore that vision and then they can bring through whatever that understanding is. This is where we get back to the gifts of the experience, to go through the experience that could take time to bring through and understand whatever the message is or the gift or the knowing in that, the epiphany, and to then bring that through to the collective and say, this was the journey I had and here's the gift. This is the typical hero's quest, right? To go through it and to be able to come back to the ordinary world with the boon, with the prize, with the knowing and say, here it is. And now those in the ordinary now go, aha, thanks for going through that journey. And now what can we do with it? Our time together has flown by. And before we go, I want to let people know how to find you and how to find out more about you and what you do. Do you have a website? I do. So you can go along to www.drnicolegruel.com. You can um, get a free copy of my latest book there, The Power of Notes, How Non-Ordinary Experiences transform the way we live love and lead and that will give you a beautiful deep dive into um you know what is your experience and um it's that is kind of the fruits i guess of my own studies and i wanted to make it a very practical guide for people so that you can identify what happened to me and what are some of the after effects of that what are the gifts of that and how can i stabilize it and apply it um, in my day-to-day life and um, i have a coaching program as well that we work as a group to take people through that process too if that's something you want to do i have a free tribe called agents of awesome you can find us on facebook as well it's a group 
Um, so just look up Agents of Awesome and you can apply to join me there. And um, you'll also find me on Facebook. I do, I go live usually a few times a week um, on Dr. Nicole Grill on Facebook. If people want to ask you questions, should they do that from your website or from Facebook? Go go on to Facebook. That's um, at least up until now, the place where you can find me the most. That might be changing. <laughs> I have some question marks, um, as I'm sure many of us do around Facebook world. But, um, you know, for now, that is the best place to reach me, definitely. Do you have anything else that you're working on that you want us to know about? Um, no, really, the, the biggest project right now is the group program. And um, it's called Spirit Gifts 101. And my work is, as someone who's had these experiences all my life and wanted to validate and celebrate these experiences so that they can become the essence of how I walk the world and find purpose and meaning. I want to be able to do that for others and to help others find that way. So that is what we do in Spirit Gifts. It is helping people understand what is that out of the ordinary sacred spiritual thing that happened to me, whether it be one that was beautiful and blissful or whether it won't be one that was really challenging um, and, and even traumatic to understand the experience, to process it and integrate it, to then understand the gifts. What are the gifts? What are the golden breadcrumbs? And then once we know the gifts, the, that can provide that pathway of what's next in my life. What is the next great chapter? How do I take all of those amazing things that have come through me and bring them more in line with who I am and how I'm naturally built so that I can walk the world as effectively, as efficiently as possible while I'm here on planet Earth? So that is my service and um, that is where people can do the walk with me. Great. Well, Dr. Nicole, before we finish up, can you leave us with one last positive message? Yeah, be you because it's beautiful and glorious and you're here on this time right now. Um, and let's make the most of it. Let's let's make this a party that is unforgettable. That's a great message. Thank you again, Nicole, <laughs> for being my guest. I really appreciate you and have a great rest of your day over there. Thanks for having me, Jeff. Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara podcast. I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.